Hello and welcome back to Fertility Talks, the Therapy Fertility Podcast. I'm your host Renee Von Nutting and this season I had the pleasure of sitting down with Medical Director of Therapy Fertility, Dr. John Kennedy. Our hope was that through this series, through honest conversation and information, we would strip away some of the stigma that sometimes comes hand in hand with infertility and fertility treatment in Ireland. We have covered so many topics this season, from trying to conceive, to infertility, to a deep dive into IVF and ICSI. We cover testing and treatment options available at Therapy Fertility, as well as options for single people or LGBTQ couples. We are really proud of our first series and are already planning season two. But before we finish our first season, we wanted to take a look back on some of the best moments we've shared over the last couple of months. So please enjoy the best of Fertility Talks. The second time, so we had like an, an early um, loss with our first transfer and then we had a second frozen transfer and um, I actually didn't tell my wife that I was testing because I was I was just so afraid that it, it was not going to be successful and um, I got one of the digital ones yeah. and I, I did it like really early in the morning, it was a Saturday morning, never forget it and I snuck off, didn't tell her. And I did it and it came up as it just said pregnant and I just ran in and she knew, she saw my face and she knew, she's like, did you test? There we are. And I was like, yes. And the most unusual part of that story is that you said you only bought one. I know, but they're expensive. Oh, I know. They're putting, you're, you're, you're putting some company's kids through college. I mean, like nobody ever buys one pregnancy test. That's that's the most we unusual part. We bought loads of, of the cheap ones, but yeah. the digital ones oh, are yeah. like pricey, oh. right? Yeah. <laughs> I bought 10 tough ones and I don't trust them so now I'm back at the pharmacy. Actually, for the second child, I think I bought some in deals. <laughs> That's just standard sa- second and, child. And you're saying the difference between fresh and frozen embryos? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. I think we're the writing on the wall. So the idea of egg freezing is that you won't need them, you won't use them. I was thinking about this on the way in today. And I know I've said this before and I've acknowledged this before. I'm monstrously, massively biased. I live and work in a field where all I see is, is is couples and people struggling to conceive. So the notion that people can get pregnant without IVF for my assistance seems crazy to me, but apparently it does happen. <laughs> the vast majority of people do not need this treatment at all. They don't need to use frozen eggs. They don't need to worry about fertility. They do need to... so. So most people won't need to use frozen eggs. So why should you bother Mm. freezing your eggs? Well, I think to answer that question, you have to take a step back and and ask yourself, how difficult or easy is it to do this? And if it's very time consuming and it's very expensive and there's a lot of hoops to jump through, then it makes it a much more difficult sell. Mm. If it's easy, it's straightforward. It's a bit more fire and forget. That's a different story entirely, isn't it? You know, modern medicine is struggling with evidence-based medicine at the moment. And I think what we've seen in the last few years is a rise in counter-science culture almost, where you use science to battle science. And the scientific process is just about getting data, reviewing the data, reviewing it again and again and again. And the more data you get, the more 
correct the conclusions you will draw from this data is. So we've got pretty strong data on a lot of things we do on fertility, related to IVF, to ICSI, to egg collections, to embryo transfers, to progesterone timings and things like that. There's a, good, a lot of solid stuff there. Where we don't have a lot of good science is around the woolly areas like PRP, like infusions, like egg quality improvements and things like that. And what tends to happen, because people don't have time to wait the 20 years or the 10 years or the 7 years for better data to emerge, is things come on in a great big rush, they fire up, they become the new big thing, and then literally overnight they drop off. I think infertility, one of the finest examples we have of this is a thing called endometrial scratch. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeah. Maybe you guys even went through it or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised it was becoming it became for a few years. Can I just say it sounds awful. Yes. Like just even the phrase scratching yes, it's, like the inside. It's it's of, it's a like, it's yeah. a crappy name. And the fact that it was popular despite being a crappy name is very telling. There was another product, which also I don't have a huge amount of faith in, called Embryo Glue. That's a deadly name, isn't it? <laughs> it's just so who, who doesn't bizarre. Want embryo, who like, doesn't want Embryo Glue? My God, what's stick wrong? Stick a bit of Pritt stick in there. What's and wrong like, with you? Do you, like... <laughs> do you want it to not be glued in? You know, so these, you know, and, and that shouldn't guide our practice. How sexy a name is shouldn't guide our practice <laughs> at all. But what was really interesting about endometrial scratch is it came out and about a year after it came out, this was maybe 2008, 2009, could be completely wrong on those dates, there was an article in, I think, one of the British papers, one of the British Sunday papers, saying revolutionary new process in fertility treatment increases success rates by 200%. Five years later, there was another article, same paper, exactly the same paper, saying clinics charging for add-ons which have no proven benefit in increasing success. Both articles were about endometrial scratch. So that tells you everything. And if you look at the early crappy retrospective data on endometrial scratch, it looked promising. When you looked at the big meta-analysis and the bigger trials, no value at all. But all the clinics, even the ones I was working in, we all, we all adopted it. And it really should make you very, very nervous about knee-jerking into new things. Which brings us to DHEA, which brings us to PRP, which brings us to IVIG infusions or intralipids or this. There is no good evidence around these. So what you have to do is you have to balance out how much is this costing? How much is this costing financially? Is there any risk with it? So giving an infusion of immunoglobulin, what's the risk of that? Well, it's a blood product. And you don't have to go that far back in Ireland's history to find a history of people who got blood products who ran into problems because of it. I'm speaking, of course, of, of hepatitis. So you have to be very, very cautious about these things. You can get reactions to them. To say nothing, you're just adding cost and time and worry and hassle. Mm. And it very much falls into the won't do any harm, might do some good category, and we're still, we'll be safe with it, and the risks are low. And also, tragically, the higher the cost, the more likely the person is to believe that it's effective. Yeah. And that's... So I think we need to be very metric. The problem is, if you offer these things... If you offer these services, all you can be certain of is they will be overused. Yeah. Okay? I'm not saying these things are of no benefit. What I am saying is our ability to correctly define and diagnose who they are of benefit to is incredibly limited. We aren't good at that. So what we tend to do is we over-treat. So you're putting a whole lot of people through a whole lot of unnecessary stuff 
for potentially, maybe, caveated, asterisked, tiny, tiny improvement. If you have endometriosis, that very specific type of tissue, which should only ever occur in the uterus, occurs outside the uterus, in the ovaries, on the fallopian tubes, on the ligaments, on the bowel. Uh, you can even get it in scar tissue. Yeah. You can get it in gums, rarer, obviously, uh, in belly buttons. And every month, what that tissue responds to the same hormonal, hormonally mediated cycle. So it grows and it sheds. But of course, it doesn't shed because there's nowhere for it to shed. So if it's in like your fallopian tube, where is it, it going? It just, cause, it just causes irritation. Hmm. You can get some bleeding and it'll be absorbed in the peritoneum. In the ovary, you get cysts forming in the ovary and they're called chocolate cysts, which is a terrible misnomer. Well, that's cause, terrible because that sounds lovely. Yeah, it ain't. Um, they're, they're, they're filled with this horrible brown sticky mm. fluid. And what that is, that's altered blood because every month that little bit of endometrial tissue grows bleeds, sheds. And it just stays there. just stays there. And it, so it gets encapsulated and walled off by the ovary. And then that cyst gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And of course, this is all filled with these inflammatory markers and these high cytokines and things of that, that ilk. So it can cause scarring. It can cause, even, even with mild endometriosis, you can get severe fertility changes but at its most severe at stage four endometriosis the pelvis can be what's called frozen and filled with this horrible rigid scar tissue which prevents anything from from working well the way we grade endometriosis is on a one to four scale which is based on surgical observation of what we can see the problem is that the degree of subfertility that's caused by endometriosis correlates very poorly with the grading so on one end of the spectrum, you can have people with very severe endometriosis who are getting pregnant. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have people with very, what's called mild endometriosis who can have very severe symptoms or real fertility issues. And yet they get told when they have their surgery or laparoscopy or what have you, oh, no, your endometriosis is very mild. And they're like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't feel very mild. Um, I read, I don't know if you ever heard of The Onion. It's a parody newspaper that's been produced in the States for years. They had a headline there last week, which really did resonate. And I think it's a take-home lesson. So, woman puts off going to doctor until symptoms severe enough for him to believe her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds, Sounds pretty sound accurate. Achingly, yeah. depressingly, awfully mm. familiar. And I think endometriosis very much lives in that space where people are told they have mild endometriosis, but they're crippled. Crippled with, with pain. They are crippled I know, with I, pain. I have quite a few close friends who there we suffer are. very badly. You know, and, and again, old white dude saying, oh, your endometriosis is mild. That's singularly unhelpful. So how we grade it and how we manage it. Again, no more than with the PCOS, so we should be looking at the symptoms. What does endometriosis cause? It causes pain. Pain with periods, pain with intercourse, pain with bowel motions, it's pain related. It doesn't necessarily cause heavier periods, although you can get a kind of endometriosis-like uh, syndrome called adenomyosis, which is where you get endometrium tissue in the muscle of the wall of the womb, which can cause, again, this big inflammatory change. Mm. This, again, you'll see a bit of a swelling in the uterus there. And that can cause heavier periods too. So, so how does it prevent uh, a pregnancy occurring naturally? So, so what's interesting is endometriosis has an impact on every single aspect of uh, female's fertility. So it'll have an impact on egg numbers, egg transport, sperm transport, embryo transport, and implantation. So egg numbers, egg quality, everything. So everything is harder. Everything's harder. The one it probably has the least impact on 
is implantation but it, but depending on how severe it is with our with the caveat that we're limited in our understanding of this so we know even if you have very mild endometriosis like a couple of spots dotted around the pelvis if you analyze the follicular fluid the fluid that the egg developing egg matures in in somebody with mild endometriosis versus somebody who has no endometriosis at all even if that endometriosis is not in the ovaries you're still going to see differences in the immunological markers within that follicular fluid and there'll be more pro-inflammatory cytokines and whatnot in the endometriosis so sufferers follicles so we know it's having an impact on eggs right out of the gate you know we don't quite know what causes it uh, there was a lovely theory of retrograde menstruation. So the lining of the womb goes up through the tubes and falls into the pelvis and sticks there and lodges there. You can see evidence of endometriosis at a fetal stage. So it's not that. You know, there's yep. other factors involved as well. It is reciprocal IVF. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think all everything we've done so far has just been a soft excuse for you to talk about this. <laughs> it's all um, been yeah, leading, so leading up, up to this. this. And then we can cut it here. I'm going to be like, I'm done. Yeah, once, once you have this in the bag, <laughs> it's, it's fine. So um, I suppose from a, a medical and fertility point of view, what is reciprocal IVF? So the idea of reciprocal IVF, it's a variant of IVF. <clears throat> that's going to be performed uh, with a couple where you have two two females. What's going to happen is you're going to stimulate and do standard IVF on one party. You're going to collect eggs. You're going to fertilize those eggs, usually with the addition of donor sperm, although that's something to be looked at, and then generating embryos and then transferring those embryos in a timely and safe fashion into the other member of the couple. So they carry the other their partner's genetic child so one person becomes the genetic parent mm -hmm. and the other the gestational parent. exactly or and now ireland's funny you know this um it defines motherhood or being a mother as having a baby come out of you exit you physically yes uh which is obviously somewhat antiquated mm -hmm. as an ocean Very and much. doesn't doesn't take into account surrogacy and mm -hmm. things and, and and things like this so one of the things we'll need to talk about is how parents are recognized mm. and certainly in ireland one party can be recognized as the mother and the other can be recognized as a parent yeah so why were you so excited to um start offering this service well, it's it's just elegant i think <laughs> um it's it's sort of clever and I mean, so everything I say here today has to be put through the lens of the cis hetero white male, you know, <laughs> and but whenever you have a female couple in front of you, generally a lot of the time they'll have an idea that I want to get pregnant and my partner doesn't want to get pregnant or something, something like that. But always at the back of your mind, you're thinking, I've got potentially two bites of the cherry here. Yeah. You know, if I can get this unit a child or children, then that's success. And if it's not working out over here, then I've got then I've got a plan B. And you have two sets of ovaries and you have two uteruses. And the couple are sharing the journey. And I've always felt that donor sperm for a heterosexual couple I think they do very well with it. I think guys do really, really well when they have to use donor sperm. Mm -hmm. That would certainly be my experience. But it always feels like a bit of a mean trick. 
-hmm. Like they're very divorced from the proceedings. They're divorced from the proceedings genetically and their support and all the rest. And but they don't they physically a, have to do ex anything. Exactly. And I imagine it must be somewhat similar for same-sex female couples mm. who are using donor sperm, that the person who gets pregnant and the person who carries the child and the person who gives birth is mum and the other one is mum's partner. Mm. You know? It can feel like that, absolutely, yeah. And this is a really elegant way of completely sharing the journey and mixing all of that in and the nature and the nurture and it's all, yep. it's just, when it works, it's really, really elegant. Yeah. I think it's it's very, very pretty. Yeah. So I'll tell you about when I first heard about reciprocal IVF. Um, it was when my wife and I had started talking about wanting to do some form of fertility treatment and we knew we would have to use donor sperm and mm. it would be like IVF or IUI. We didn't really know what that actually meant at the time. These were just phrases that were thrown around. Yep. And um, we, we were actually having a glass of wine or something one night and we said, wouldn't it be so cool if, you know, because I knew I wanted to be physically pregnant, but we said, wouldn't it be great if we could use your eggs, Audrey, and mm -hmm. have embryos and then I could carry them because that way we'd both really physically be involved in this process. Yep. And we were like, ah, that sounds like really bizarre. Like, and then we Googled it and sure enough, it, it, it you know, it was a thing called yep. reciprocal IVF and, but it was relatively new. So 2009 in Spain, I believe yep. was when, was when they first started offering it. Um, so in the, in the scheme of things, it's, it's not too long that it's been offered. No, no, not at all. And I mean, there's nothing challenging about it medically yeah. versus conventional mm. IVF. It's it's just the same. I mean, the process is identical. It's just decoupled kind of a little bit. Yeah. And you take eggs, you take sperm, you make embryos, you do embryo Put them transfers. Back. Yeah. It's, you know, so... I'm pretty sure none of them are going to be fact-based. Okay, super. <laughs> um, and have you heard of this? That wearing, like, warm socks throughout the two-week wait can increase your chance. I'm biting my tongue because my immediate response, <laughs> my, my every fire we've got, oh yeah, no, that's absolute. That's all I want to say. And look, what? what? I mean, wrap up warm. That's a good idea. That's good advice. What am I telling people? Go around with cold feet. I hate having cold feet. That sucks. So... Um, Is it something to do with like the feet being linked no, to the uterus? Like in, in Chinese medicine? I am not pretending to know everything. Yeah. I know of no evidence that links... Warm, warm and or cold feet with increased... Well, I mean, wear socks. Don't go around barefoot. I'm sh constantly shouting at my children, put some socks on, and then Headline, they put socks on. Dr. Kennedy advises <laughs> patients to go and barefoot. Also, don't, don't, I mean, put some socks on. If you're going to wear socks, wear some shoes. Otherwise, you're just going to fall when you're going down the stairs and have to pick you up and deal with it. Um, so uh, that's, a, that's a, an it's interesting It's an interesting one. one, isn't it? I mean... I haven't immediately said that sounds bananas, and it does sound a bit bananas to me. And that will be taken as, well, that seems like a good idea then. I yeah. mean, don't have cold feet, but yeah. I don't There's think it's no relevant. There's no scientific No, no, not that I'm evidence. aware of. Not that I'm aware of. I do think it is a good idea to stay comfortable through your two-week wait, but... I, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, wow. Have you heard about pineapple? No. Okay, well, and I'm... I'm I'm interested that you haven't heard about no, this. No, I've heard I've heard about turmeric. I've heard about omega three. I've heard about a lot of things, but yeah. pineapple, no. 
What what so, what is it? Okay, so apparently pineapple like has something in the core mm-hmm. that can I don't know. It does something that it, it yeah. It just in- increases your chance of an embryo implanting. Seriously. So within the, the IVF community, a lot of times people will like get T-shirts printed of like pineapple for their for their I transfer, do. or if they're a pregnancy announcement, it will be like the pineapple is like the symbol. I, I can't believe not, you haven't heard this. I did not know this at all. Um, that's definitely one that we both do, like. We both ate pineapple throughout our treatment but also we like pineapple well pineapple's tasty yeah so you know why wouldn't you I can't believe you hadn't heard that one I mean obviously what yeah I so mean, apparently it's... it has bromelain bromelain that has anti-inflammatory properties they are great word and yeah so if you heard yeah. that you'd be like well it's Inf- anti-inflammatory inf- so information sounds bad yeah. oh, I don't want that yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I want so anti that I want anti that yeah yeah um, yeah, okay. not, a, not all the takers on the pro-inflammatory. Okay, uh, have you like... heard of drinking pomegranate juice? Yes. Okay, so apparently that's to do with increasing the the line the uterine lining. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was doing obstetrics, the number of things you know was it raspberry leaf tea and things. Well, definitely that put raspberry you leaf tea. Yeah. Oh, I did okay, all the things. Hang, that's on, a... hang on. When you said definitely raspberry, does that mean you think raspberry leaf tea puts you into labour? Because <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, you might go into labor, but you probably have a term pregnancy on board. So there's a decent chance it's going to happen at some point. Well, on both of my pregnancies, uh-huh. I was induced. So I'd say the raspberry leaf tea and the curries and the, what was it? Is it dates? Is it dates or is it, what is it? Well, is it a date, date well, smoothie? Well, for heterosexual couple, it's a different kind of date. But it's supposed to uh, <laughs> increase the chances. There might be something in that, actually, but prostaglandins and whatnot. But, so uh, funny. Um yeah, do I believe? No, I don't know. I don't like if you ask. Hang on, let's let's okay, let's, let's carve let's, into this a little bit just this. for a moment because we've been we've been talking a lot about superstition and mm. about beliefs and all the rest. And you're a rational person. I am. What's your basis for thinking that raspberry leaf tea? Because enough people have said it, so there's probably something there, right? I suppose from for me now. I will say I don't believe that it works, mm-hmm. but I I believe enough that it's cheap and I like drinking tea and it's something that people do. So is raspberry leaf tea something you have been drinking since? Absolutely not, because I don't I don't have I don't need to go into labor. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> isn't that really and I'd be as guilty as everybody yeah, yeah, else yeah. about this, but isn't that really interesting? Now, that's a situation where you know you're going to get induced and it's all going yeah. to work out and you're just feeling very pregnant and yeah, you yeah, just yeah. want it to be over and all yeah, the rest yeah. of the stuff. Now, imagine the ball of anxiety that is fertility treatment mm. and the hope that can come with something there. It doesn't take much to become very, very wedded to something without any actual evidence yeah. behind it. Absolutely. And all of that said, maybe raspberry leaf tea does help. I'm not saying it doesn't. Yeah. I'm saying the evidence says that it doesn't. Or there is no evidence. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I, but I, yeah, I suppose but when I, something is so cheap and everyone seems to be doing you know it. What? Won't do any harm. Won't yeah. do some good. Yeah. See, mm. this is where it keeps coming back to. So, you know. Yeah. So I guess the tricky thing is when you're starting to do interventions that do cost money and do. Every, yeah. Everything has a cost. Yeah. Be it, and raspberry leaf tea is is cheap mm. so it's at the lower end of the involved spectrum obviously yeah you know 
but there's still a cost there. Yeah. I don't think it's it's enough that you'd have bother having a conversation or a row about yeah, it. Yeah. Go for it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but where does that line draw a stop? And it's different for yeah. everybody. Interesting. So what was the, hang on, we got I'm a hypocrite, what was it? is it what, was, we've, what we've so, learned. So pineapple, <laughs> well, aren't we all? I mean, uh, pineapple, yeah, um, again. Yeah, pomegranate is what we were saying. I pomegranate, I, yeah. I, hadn't heard of that. Oh, I've heard pomegranate, yeah. I've had, had that what other ones have you heard of? Turmeric, omega-3. And what is turmeric supposed to do? It's a spice, I think. I don't no, but like turmeric oh. is great. Like, and I, I, you know, like using it in cooking. There. So um, improve air quality. That was all. Why? But, why? Why? Why oh, is it said please. to do that? I mean, oh, is it probably because the anti-inflammatory why not? thing being tried it again? Okay, I don't know. I gen- no, I don't know. And to be fair, I didn't do a whole lot of digging into it except to go, okay, look, I'll spend a little while finding yeah, yeah. finding any papers on it. Of course, there aren't. There, there isn't yeah. anything out there. Um, I think it's pretty fair, and this is something I've said to an awful lot of patients over the years. You can Google a noun and mm. type egg quality in beside it, and you're probably going to get some manner of a hit. What do we do for a female that comes in? Well, the first blood test, I'm not going to harp on about it because I've harped on about it at length, I think every other time we've spoken about, is AMH. It's a blood test that measures the ovarian reserve. How many apples are left in the barrel? What pool of eggs are you working with? It's about quality. It's not about quality, it's about quantity. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it just tells you how proactive you should be about your fertility options and how you might respond to treatments. That's it. That's a blood test. And I actually had it done last week. Have you got the result back yet? Um, I haven't even checked. Like you know, in my in my case, I'm I'm not too um, concerned about it because it was for me. It was purely, you know, as a way to show people how easy it is to get done. Yeah. Um. You know, we already have two kids. We're not thinking of using my eggs, so it's not necessarily something I need to know. Um. But I wanted to do it to actually just go through the experience of it. So you've had your AMH done before. Mm. Kind of I've never had my AMH done before. That's the oh. thing. So when we went through treatment before, um, we were very set on, and we've talked we talked about yeah. this in the reciprocal IVF episode, that when someone comes to you for reciprocal yes. IVF, you're going to very much encourage both parties to be tested. When it was, you know, when we were going through our cycles, we knew we were using Audrey's eggs. So I just simply didn't have it done. So I have no idea. So... Here's a fun question. Do you think you'll care about the result? I actually think I will. You know, I, I wasn't anticipating that. But then Ooh, as yeah. I was getting the blood drawn, I was kind of thinking to myself, am I going to care? You if... have bitten off more than you can chew. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see, won't we? <laughs> Renee's well. not coming to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you're going to feel a certain kind of way. But it's interesting. Of course you do. Because yeah. it's it's information you're getting about your body. Yeah. Um, but it is important to, to to remember that, you know, even if... I did come back with a, a really low AMH. That doesn't mean I have bad eggs. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't be able to use my own eggs to yep. become pregnant. Um, it is just information. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, guys especially are disproportionately happy or unhappy with the results of a semen analysis. As though it kind of somehow translates to... To virility and and uh, who you are as a and man. One and one is good and one is bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, you know, this makes me less of a man or more mm. of a man. And it can be an awful blow getting a bad semen analysis result. Yeah, and I think the same for the AMH. Getting, absolutely. Getting a low absolutely result. Agree. People feel guilty somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. shamed and guilt. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. The, the best couples, because you do see male factors, you see female factors, the best couples come in as 
a team now. I mean, that's a bit of a woke term, but they are supportive. They're understanding that at any point, either member of the couple may be mm. at a different point on the optimism-pessimism curve. They understand that it's not about blame at all. And people say, oh, it's not about blame, but secretly it is. No, it, yeah. really, it really isn't. It's guys who get low spur, who get find out they've low spur, they tend to drop pretty quickly into solution mode and go, right, how do we how do we fix this? You know, if if you find uh, a, a woman with a very low ovarian reserve, it can be very upsetting. And in truth, the treatment options are worse. Mm. It's easier to treat male fertility. Yeah. Just we're scientifically we're better at doing it it's not fair it's not right but it's the way it is so there's generally much more problem solving that happens on that side and there's much more counselling and education that happens on this side and that should tell you a lot as well but it's it's very very the best couples are the couples who very much not all support her in whatever she wants to do although that is a useful approach it's people who are just yeah look this is our goal together and mm -hmm. how do we achieve that goal yeah you know that they're coming in as a unit yeah that's what i like to see you've done great I, work. i'll get i'll get a tattoo and look, just, just for everybody out there if, 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 if you're listening if there's one person who has championed this space more than any other in the country it's 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 renee for years i've been talking to you about this um and and i hope that the community recognizes what you what you've done um and how instrumental you were in getting getting that across the line and getting in and acted and, and, and just making things better. So well done you. Thanks, John. You've listened back. A little bit. You said you weren't going to do that. I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nobody, nobody likes the sound of their own voice. But some, some people do. Jesus, I, I ramble occasionally. Well, I think... I, I blame you. No, just, just blame Renee for everything. Yeah. I mean, I think the series has been great and hopefully it's been helpful to people exactly. who are either considering treatment, who are going through treatment, who are reflecting on treatment that they've had. Yeah. Um, and it's just been, you know, honest and open and I think we've done that much. I think we've done that much. I don't think I've been... Uh, political about it I think it's been great from that perspective yeah yeah, yeah. but great to have the platform it's been great to get it out there so it's, it's a resource people can draw on and listen yeah. as they and need to and speaking of resources just to remind people that we have weekly Instagram lives now which oh that's is right yes very exciting yes. Um, and a monthly webinar yes and those are always happening on a Tuesday absolutely so, um, so yeah I mean dial in on them um, I think and, and going forward what I want to do is bring and I know you feel the same. We load more voices to sure. the table here. I and want experts on different topics. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Because I'm fully aware of, of, of what I know about and what I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I'm always going to try slightly cautious of that. So I'd love to get those people involved. Yeah, so keep, different perspectives. keep, keep your ears peeled for Thank season two. Thank you very much for now. Thank it's been you. a pleasure. Same here. Thanks again to each and every one of you who joined us for season one of Fertility Talks. An extra big thank you to Dr. Kennedy and to all of those who helped behind the scenes. Take care and we look forward to seeing you again on next season of Fertility Talks.